0: Hi, friend, and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. It's very important, and I know we don't know one another, but thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart for listening to this. I, I'm, I made it because God spoke to my heart, and He's speaking to you, and I want you to hear this. It's specifically for you. I ask you a question. Have you ever been driving down the road... Or walking or whatever and seen a sign or a poster or a flyer that said Jesus is coming? Have you thought to yourself why or when or what does this even mean or what does it have to do with me or why should I care? I can understand these questions and why you would ask one or more of them. They're relevant, they're important, and they deserve answers. But first, let's talk about why someone would care enough to post such a message for you to read in the beginning. I want you to know that God the Father, the creator of the universe, sent this person, him or her, to do it. Whether you know much about the Bible and its truth or not, whether you have ever been to church or not, whether you've ever sought out Jesus or not, he is actively seeking you. Why? Because he wants to save and rescue us from an eternity without his love and grace. He wants to save us from an eternity with Satan, where there is torment forever. That's why God sent him to earth and among men. Jesus' time on earth was to teach us about God the Father, our maker and our judge, his ways and his kingdom. He wants all men and women everywhere to obtain eternal life. That can only come through the forgiveness of our sins and our sin nature. Now Adam and Eve, the very first humans, sinned by disobeying God's command. And this became a permanent part of their essence and their souls and their natures. And as such was passed on to every other person that has ever lived as a result of them because Adam and Eve are our progenitors, the progenitors of all mankind meaning that every person that's ever lived can trace their ancestry back to the first humans, Adam and Eve. The Bible even tells us that not only are we born in sin, but we're actually even conceived in sin because our mothers and fathers were sinful too. If we continue in this way, on this path, we will be born into sin, live our lives in sin, die in sin. And this not only causes physical death, which is temporal and earthly, but it's spiritual death and it's eternal. There are only two eternal places, heaven with God and hell without God. Almighty God, as a judge, if he, if he could only look on the evidence of our sin, of the sin in our lives, he would be forced, by justice, to ban us from heaven. And being banned from his kingdom leaves only one alternative destiny, and that's hell, that's Satan's kingdom. But God is also, thankfully, a God of love. Not the kind of love we know. Not self-love, but other-centered love. And selfless love. But he's also a God of grace and a God of mercy. And this is where Jesus comes in. God sent him, who is without sin and perfect, to willingly and obediently pay the price for our sins. He took all the sins of all mankind upon himself and in doing this he offered himself as the payment for our sin debt on the cross he took our sins upon himself and he offered us his righteousness so that we might have the even the opportunity to be reconciled to god the father and that's amazing the perfect god took our sins upon himself and in so doing gave us the opportunity to have his righteousness to gain eternal life for all of for all of eternity who who would not take that if they knew about it and that's why god sends people to tell people about it and god says jesus is coming and thankfully someone was obedient to put that out there but i realize when i drive around that if I'm thinking about it from someone who doesn't know Jesus' standpoint, that's not going to mean a hill of beans to them, unfortunately. It might get you, if you're curious, if God has been working on your heart to go look it up for yourself. And you certainly have an abundance of means to do so in this day and age. But if you don't care, or you're apathetic, or you don't think it's important, or no one's ever explained this to you, or you've never thought about eternal things, you've only thought about this life... In yourself, then this is going to pass you by. You're going to be oblivious to it, and it's too important. God sent someone to say, Jesus is coming, but you need to know what that means, and what it means for you, and why it's important, and that's why he sent me to follow up on that other person's message. So I'm going to tell you, and that's what I'm doing, to tell you why it's important for everyone, not just for you. See, this is the length, the the length that God, Jesus Christ, is God, is willing to go to, to rescue you from eternal death. See, God is so perfect and holy and just that nothing stained or unclean or blemished or sinful can dwell with him. I hope you can understand that. And this is why we must be cleansed of our sins and our sin nature once and for all. Now what Jesus suffered on the cross was what needed to be done for us or we would have no chance of eternity with God in heaven. He loves us so much, friend, and with a self-sacrificial love and an other-centered love. And only this makes it possible for us to have hope, which for the Christian means not just a hoping like a crossing of the finger. It means a full assurance now and forever. And this is truth. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the overarching message of the Bible. And this is why God sent someone to post that sign that said, Jesus is coming. Now what this is warning us of, if we're not Christians, and beckons us to, if we are Christians, is a wonderful time and event for those whose sins have been forgiven and an awful time for those who have not been forgiven. It's why the Lord prompted someone to post that mes- message. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Now, there's a book in the Bible called Thessalonians. There's actually a first and a second Thessalonians. In chapter 4, verses 13 through uh, verse excuse me, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 11, describes what the sign is actually trying to say. And it says this. It says, We we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, in the Bible, when it says asleep, they're talking about the people that are Christians that have died, but they know they're going to rise and have a resurrection. They're going to be eternity with God. So they're really only asleep. They're not dead like those who have no hope and will go down. Who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, until Jesus comes. We will not have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, which is Jesus' coming, will come like But you, Christians, are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night. For God has not destined us, the Christian, for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord the asleep, Jesus calls them, to be with him in heaven for ever. This is the great expectation and the hope of the true church, his sons and daughters. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, know and never will be form great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens, the, earth, the atmospheres, the skies, will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, Jesus, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the four corners of the earth from one end of heaven the sky, the atmosphere to the other. See, the Lord God of heaven and earth and the entire universe is mighty in power slow to anger rich in mercy and abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's great in patience, I can tell you, wanting no one to perish eternally, but to come to repentance concerning both their sins and their sin nature. He can and wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but only Christ can do this. He poured out his life to save us and redeem us from evil, the darkness that we choose and walk in every day. He has offered His true hope. But to those who reject Him, Hebrews 10.30.31 says this, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have a chance of salvation To avoid this, Jesus is coming. And that's why God is sending forth this message. He wants you to know before he comes what's coming ahead so you don't have to face that. But if you don't, it is a fearful thing to to fall into the hands of the living God who will judge us for our sins instead of judging us in righteousness that Jesus gave us when he died on the cross. The problem is, often, that as sinful people, we like to focus on and remember that God is love. Though we as rebellious creatures are not worthy of it, but we conveniently dismiss or forget that God is also a God of justice and righteousness and truth and even wrath when necessary. And we're deceiving ourselves into thinking and believing that God is who we want him to be, or need him to be or we mold him into such a being towards our own selfish unbelieving ends we're not reading his word the bible which is his word to us revealing to us by himself who he says he actually is and i can tell you from experience god does not lie and the bible what it says is true you put it to the test it's true god reveals himself god is that way that's his character In addition, his love is different and better than our love. His justice is different and better than our justice. His peace is different altogether than our peace. His goodness is different than our goodness, even in definition. See, the universe is not me centric meaning it's focused and centered around and ruled by me. It's not that way. It's God-centric. It's he is the king. He is the judge. He is the creator. And he is the authority. We serve our maker. He doesn't serve us. We have it all backwards. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 2 says, This truth, and you may not have known this, but your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that you, so that he does not hear. We are a rebellious people. We like to believe we're autonomous. We want to live a life free from the Almighty, but how quickly... We run to him to seek his help when we want or need something that he can provide that we or nobody else can. True. Honestly, true. If God were simply a God of justice and equity, he would have plenty of evidence to convict us. Frankly, we know this. And our sentencing is a life for all eternity without him in hell. Our desires and our choices make this our destiny. God doesn't send us there. By rejecting him, we make our choice known. By hanging on to our sins and loving in little too much, we make our choices known. But, thank the Lord who is rich in mercy and grace and loves us in a way that we are not deserving of and can't rightly understand. There is hope for you. Jesus Christ, who is coming, like we said, is the one who has made the way possible for you to be made right in God's eyes. See, Romans 6.23, he says, when you, okay, when you work, you get paid. Those are your wages. When you do something right, you have a good consequence. and you do something wrong, you have a bad consequence. The Bible calls this what you're getting paid. That's why it calls it Wages. It says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is coming. It does affect you. It should absolutely matter to you. You still have time to grasp and obtain salvation, forgiveness of your sins, and eternal life. But only Christ is the answer. Only He has made provision for you. He said elsewhere in Scripture, I am the truth and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father or gets to heaven except through me. The Bible also says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. So, Jesus is coming is a reminder to those who serve him, are forgiven, are reborn, are committed to him, that know that he is their Lord and Master, that our redemption is near, heaven's joy is close, our reunion with him is approaching soon, and this can be for you too, and that's what I want, that's what Christians want, that's what God wants But that same sign, Jesus is coming, is also a reminder to the unsaved, possibly and probably you, that this is a fearful time, a perilous time, a terrible time. The Lord God says to you, almost as if in exasperation, why should you die? There's no point. He's saying, there's no need. I have made a way out for you. Why won't you take it? Do you love your sins so much? Are they worth dying for? Eternally for? The Bible also tells us we will always be servants. Either servants of sin or servants of righteousness. Don't forget, we are created beings. We are the created, not the creator. The sooner we realize this, even though we know it, as soon as, as soon as we internalize this and, and change our perspectives and, and, and submit to God and act upon this knowledge, the better. Again, the sign, Jesus is coming, is not a scare tactic, but an urgent warning to turn from your sins and submit to God to obtain eternal life rather than be consigned to eternal death. Look at it this way. If you lived in a two-story house and you and your family were upstairs eating or sleeping, watching TV, talking and laughing together, whatever, but oblivious to the fact that there was a fire that had started to consume the first floor, would you want your smoke alarms to be functioning and to let you know what was happening? Would you want someone, a neighbor, to knock frantically but caringly on your door or to call you and let you know so you could escape the sure-and-coming destruction? Of course you would, I hope. You can say there is no fire, all you want. You can choose to ignore those who try to warn you of danger, but it's still there. You and your comfort and ease and life as you like it, can choose not to believe because you don't want to believe it you don't want to face it but that doesn't mean the looming danger isn't there because it is in the word of god the apostle paul tells believers to speak the truth in love that means Motivated by love, that I means the words that you speak, even if they may not be what you want to hear, even if they may be unpleasant or dangerous or painful or hurtful. They're meant to. They're motivated by by a heart of love, and you need to hear them, and that's why we speak them. And this doesn't mean when you say speak the truth in love, like the world says it. It's not to be soft. It doesn't mean to, not. It doesn't mean. Not to possibly offend anyone or to speak softly or timidly. Or, and it doesn't mean to water down the message of the gospel or sugarcoat it either. It doesn't mean to make it more palatable. It means to have love, God's love, which is called agape in the Greek. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's an other-centered love. And we need to have that as a motive and intent of our hearts. And so when we speak the truth to you about these things, which are unpleasant, they're meant to save your life eternally. They're motiva- motivated by other-centered love, our love for you. is motivated by self-sacrificial love. We may have to lose friends or lose family or lose coworkers, or be subject to mock and ridicule or whatever, but we do it because we love you. It's to care enough about the state of another's eternal soul so as to share the truth in order that a human life forever can be changed and saved and rescued from those wages of death, the just consequences of his or her sins. Jesus is coming is either a proclamation of great joy or... It's a call that falls on the deaf ears of an apathetic, or and or rebellious person, who will live through, or die before a time, when that first story of your two-story house burns, destroys the bottom floor, and destroys the upper floor, and causes those upstairs to collapse in destruction. And this is totally unnecessary. This doesn't have to be, and God doesn't want this to be, your future and your end, and certainly not your eternity. But you have to choose. Will the will that He has given you, with that free will, with the ability to choose, what path will you now take? And where will it lead you? Jesus said plainly and lovingly in John 12:25, he said, whoever loses his life, excuse me, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, the word hate here means to value something less. It means that when presented, when Jesus says, Whoever loses his life—excuse me—I keep saying that whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What he means is is that when you're presented with this life here and eternal and uh, temporal versus life with God the Father in heaven and eternal, the one valued as less should be this present one. Knowing and understanding this, let me share with you one potent illustration Jesus gave his listeners. It's in Luke sixteen nineteen through 31 He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, hell being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. I'd send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cost from there to us. As he said, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets and the rest of the Bible. Let them hear that. Let them read that. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to tell them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear and listen to Moses and the prophets and the Bible, neither will they, can be, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is coming. This is what it means. You will be found in joyful anticipation and expectation, I hope. Or you will be in fear or worse, apathy and disbelief. There is still time. Now, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of his coming, as some people count slowness. But he's patient toward you because he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Jeremiah 3, 3-15, through, through speaks to you of the hope that you still have. It says, only acknowledge your guilt your sins, that you rebelled against the Lord your God, and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. And he says, return, O faithless children, for I am your master, and I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Again, Jesus is coming. This is what it means. Think about it and heed the person's message. Heed God's message. Heed my message. But it all comes from God. He wants to save you from your sins so that when Jesus comes, when next time you see the sign, Jesus is coming. If you've obeyed this message and saved yourself by letting Jesus do the saving for you, committing to him, turning from your sins, this will be a joyful thing to see. A constant wonderful reminder of the very soon coming reality. But if you're still closing your mind off to it or don't believe it, or, or apathetic, or lazy, or whatever, about heeding it, then it will convict your hearts. And you should be fearful. But we don't want that for you. Jesus is coming.